0: So this is a ventilator. Can you see it?
1: This is Professor Michael Jorgensen. He's a faculty member at California State University, Monterey Bay.
0: So what I want to do today uh, to the class is, later in the week, we're going to get more into the, the details of this but today was my one and only day. What you're
1: hearing is actually a recording from one of his Zoom classes he hosted for his physician assistant graduate students back in March. As the threat of the coronavirus pandemic was growing.
0: I want you to be thinking about if you were a volunteer, if we were at a critical situation and you found yourself in an emergency room and you were around one of these things, how could you find yourself to be useful?
1: Around this time, COVID-19 cases were spiking, So this class served as a just-in-case prep course in the event that these students would be called into action.
2: He he utilized his garage, he utilized a mannequin, he borrowed a ventilator, and he was able to show us how to do that in real time.
1: You're hearing Stephen Kurtz now. He was a physician assistant graduate student at Cal State Monterey Bay when COVID-19 hit in March.
2: It was great for him to come in and offer additional training via Zoom for how to manage a ventilator in a COVID setting or how to be involved in, in what that's gonna look like.
1: Kurtz was among the many students attending Professor Jorgensen's virtual COVID boot camp.
2: You spend this much time going through training and, and through undergraduate and getting into PA school and then going through all of the training and the hours required for that. I think most of us felt sidelined during the pandemic where we could be out there helping, we could be helping our community.
1: This was a feeling shared by many in higher education as the looming threat of a global pandemic approached. For this student and professor at Cal State Monterey Bay, COVID-19 became a real-time case study for their program and university to muster all their training, all their practice, and all their resources to benefit the community. The crisis became an opportunity. So let me put all of this into perspective for you. The schedule of a PA student is busy. You've got a full plate of coursework, plus clinical rotations, And in this case, on top of all of that, there's a pandemic that's turning the education system on its head. And yet, despite the circumstances, Kurtz, along with many other students, felt the need to answer the call.
2: I think for us, because we're in the healthcare profession, that's the reason that we were drawn to it in the first place is that we need to be out there. We need to be helping people. We need to be improving the health in our community.
3: Higher Ed Rewired is a production of the California State University, the largest, most diverse four-year public university system in the country, and an engine of social and economic mobility. Each episode examines groundbreaking research and exciting innovations taking place across the nation that are transforming the pathways for student success. Welcome to
1: the second season of Higher Ed Rewired. I'm Annette Rangel, your host for Season 2. And what a time to be innovating in higher education. Between all the virtual instruction due to the pandemic, a new national sense of urgency around inclusion and equity heightened by the Black Lives Matter protests, not to mention our ongoing aspirations to make higher ed better for more people, it's quite a time to be launching our second season. Today, for the first show of our new season, we're looking at crises. And how higher education has risen to lead their respective communities in the face of tragedy.
4: So far, it's been an incredible day all along the Gulf Coast. since early this morning when Hurricane Katrina
1: landed. The campfire continues to rage in Butte County this morning with crews working tirelessly as the fire enters its third day. Hurricane Katrina in 2005. The fires near Chico in 2018. And now...
3: The latest on the coronavirus, the United States is reporting the highest number of deaths in a single day, nearly 1,500. See, a global see, pandemic. Says
4: when you're in the midst of a crisis, it, it's very difficult oftentimes to understand that there can be a silver lining that comes from crises.
1: This is Dr. Lauren Blanchard. He's the Executive Vice Chancellor for Academic and Student Affairs for the California State University.
4: You are definitely find yourself in a, at a point where you feel like you're suffering through and you're, you're trying to make your way through. But that oftentimes it's hard to see down the line that there is going to be value and that more importantly, that there's going to be a renewed sense of purpose as you come out of the crisis.
1: As an executive vice chancellor... Dr. Blanchard develops and oversees educational policy across the CSU's 23 campuses and leads the Graduation Initiative 2025, the system's groundbreaking strategy to double graduating rates and eliminate equity gaps. But before coming to the CSU, Dr. Blanchard held a leadership position in the chancellor's office at the Louisiana State University Health Sciences Center. While there, his work focused on Hurricane Katrina recovery.
4: A lot of the work that I did, certainly in uh, Louisiana during the time of Hurricane Katrina, which was just absolutely devastating to New Orleans and, and really the lower area of southeast and southwest Louisiana, to the point where everything stopped academically for an entire semester, because, I mean, in many instances, buildings and at some of our campuses were completely submerged underwater. I know that's hard to believe, but you have 2 and 3 and 4 story buildings that were completely submerged.
1: The storm and floods devastated local communities with both physical damage inflicted and the uncertainty and fear left behind. But regional higher ed institutions seize this as an opportunity to support the people within their neighborhoods
4: how do you bring the people back? And when I say bring them back, I don't mean just physically. I mean, how do you restore a sense of confidence, a sense of faith, and a sense of recognizing that through this, you will overcome. We spent a lot of time working on that and working through that kind of philosophy with our faculty, with our staff, with our students. And eventually what we found is that with that renewed sense of purpose is that many of the individuals, especially students, wanted to figure out a way how they could come back and help to rebuild the city of New Orleans and, frankly, to rebuild the campus, right? And so we found all these opportunities for service learning. We found all of these opportunities uh, where community service and community outreach, and that became another arm of who we constituted ourselves as being in higher education, that we're a part of the rebuilding of a community, that higher education played a major role in that.
1: It was bigger than just ensuring the success of the university and its students. It was now about bringing the community back to its feet and rebuilding the city of New Orleans.
4: During Hurricane Katrina, there was uh, disproportionately a number of people of color who died during the storm. And, you know, a lot of people were under the impression that they died as a a direct result, I mean, of drowning from the storm, but that wasn't the case. Uh, Mm -hmm. The fact is that they had these pre-existing health conditions, be it heart disease, be it diabetes, be it asthma. Uh, These are really considered to be minority health disparities that Mm -hmm. really um, regrettably took the lives of many people of color uh, during Hurricane Katrina. So the question became, What can we do as a higher education system to make sure that the next time a crisis like this occurs, that we won't have the same kind of health outcomes that we have experienced as a result of Hurricane Katrina?
1: To address this disparity, faculty and students partnered with philanthropic groups to find solutions to better support Louisiana's most vulnerable populations
4: we were able to go into communities throughout the the state of Louisiana and implement programming that not only designed to improve health outcomes, but also health consciousness amongst people of color and Mm -hmm. making sure that they had access to medical care and health care and dietary care and exercise care. And it was just remarkable to see that it was The students playing a major role in this, partnering with the faculty members uh, to make that critical difference. That wasn't for themselves. It was really for others. And there's just something beautiful about knowing that in the midst of a crisis, that you can look beyond yourself and really help others. And in in the large sense, you're really helping the the larger communities.
1: These are the lessons that Dr. Blanchard carries with him into the new crisis we're facing today, COVID-19
4: this certainly as a crisis, but we're also looking at how can we use this to make sure that we are going to be agents of change. The next time another pandemic of this nature happens, we won't see similar outcomes that we see happening now.
1: So... How can higher ed leaders help students and faculty across the California State University's diverse campuses feel supported during this pandemic? The answer is simple. Avoid a one-size-fits-all approach and listen carefully.
4: There are two North Stars uh, as we work our way through this pandemic. One, uh, and, and first and foremost, is maintaining the health and safety of our campus communities, obviously faculty, staff, students, um, and anyone within that neighboring uh, area as well. The second North Star is our ongoing commitment to student success. They are tied together. And so what I mean by that is when you look at what it takes for students to be successful virtually, that we want to be very mindful of uh, not only the technology needs, but also the Wi-Fi service and the access needs that they they have in place as well to ensure that all of our campuses are being as responsive as possible. Support services is the other side of this, but it's also ensuring that they continue to know that they are a part of the campus community and that the kinds of support services that they've needed before, be it uh, advising, um, be it tutoring, um, be it uh, the work with the cultural centers and and the kind of support that they provide, that all of those are still in place. And that Mm -hmm. more importantly, that it's not where the student has to go out and do the outreach to gain the the services it's the staff and the faculty and the the other peer students that are on the campus that are reaching out really they're not on the campus but through the virtual <laughs> modality they're right. reaching out to the students and really drawing them in and letting them know not only are they supported but more importantly what more do you need to make sure that you're able to persist through this this semester and the following semesters uh, until we can get beyond the pandemic. Our belief is and will always be that once we admit a student to the CSU, that we have an absolute responsibility to ensure that those students are not only going to master the knowledge, skills, and dispositions that's associated with their degree program and obtain that degree, but that also that they're obtaining a degree of value and they're supported all throughout their time frame to ensure that they're able to get that degree of value. You know, if, if we found you qualified enough, to enroll you and admit you at CSU, then we've got a collective responsibility to make sure that you're going to graduate and that you're going to go on to make a critical difference in this world.
2: So we were working constantly into the evenings, emailing and calling and, and coordinating and calculating. We're constantly working on different things that we thought were going to be useful.
1: This is Steven Kurtz again physician assistant student at Cal State Monterey Bay. You heard him at the top of the episode.
2: We could be helping those that are displaced at this moment, those that can't leave their homes. There are a lot of opportunities during that moment.
1: At the start of the COVID-19 crisis, he and his classmates at Cal State Monterey Bay were eager to jump in. And Monterey County officials needed help. The worry was that a surge of COVID-19 patients would overwhelm local hospitals. So Kurtz, along with his classmates and Professor Michael Jorgensen, began mapping out an entire emergency plan to create an overflow hospital called an alternate care site, or ACS. And it's a lot to figure out. Logistics, building materials, supplies, transportation, let alone what the patients are going through.
2: What are the guidelines? What are the criteria for admission? So it was completely unprecedented, unfounded.
1: Instead of reinventing the wheel... Kurtz decided to learn from leaders in New Orleans who had already accomplished what Monterey County was setting out to do.
2: And so I reached out to them to find out what they were doing and how they were doing it and what their admission criteria was. Another piece of the puzzle was to figure out the supplies that would be needed for the ACS. So um, all of your medical equipment, how many beds do you need? How many do we need ventilators? We had several students working on trying to figure out what other facilities were doing and what supplies they were utilizing and how many of those we needed and where the funding was gonna come from. So I think we, we all kind of came together and divided this up, kind of at the the lead of Professor Jorgensen.
1: Professor Michael Jorgensen was the Cal State Monterey Bay faculty member leading the effort. You heard him at the top of the episode while he was leading a Zoom class that helped familiarize his students with a ventilator.
2: Professor Jorgensen, he has many talents, many skills and many experiences. So this is not his first rodeo as far as uh, operating in kind of an emergency setting. So he comes in knowing this information and being able to provide a unique perspective.
1: He was recruited by the county to spearhead the project because of his unique healthcare experience with the military and in conflict zones with Doctors Without Borders.
0: I was working very closely with our senior medical officer for the EOC, Dr. Craig Walls. And as we were working on the design layout of the ACS, we were realizing that the supply, the construction, this was going to require a lot more person power.
1: This is Professor Michael Jorgensen. He was out delivering PPE to Natividad Hospital when he bumped into Dr. Walls, its chief medical officer.
0: It was a Friday, and that evening he reached out to me and he said, we need to create a supply list for an entire up to, you know, 900-bed facility. How are we going to create this document that, as far as we knew, did not exist?
1: But Jorgensen knew he couldn't do it alone. And that's when he asked for some backup from all of his students.
0: I know what it's like to be around immense amount of resources to learn from, but it's not beneficial unless you have students that really want to be engaged with it. I was actually very, very apologetic with them to ask them. I was asking for such huge favors. And remember, they are still in the PA program. We were not in a hold. They were still actively engaged in curriculum. And yet, as I'm sitting there, somewhat apologetically saying, "I'm so sorry, but I really need your after-hours extracurricular help on this," I remember in the chat on the Zoom, it was basically just these like one-liners, like "Just put us in, professor," and it was really like kind of an emotional thing, like "Just stop apologizing and just send us," and it was like a moment I personally will never forget.
1: Yes, I'm so happy that you brought in the student aspect. I really am excited to talk to you about that. You're bringing in students and you're making sure that they're on the field and they're becoming part of this process to set up the ACSs. So can you tell us a little bit what the students' jobs specifically are in, in setting this up and, and what they did for, to help you?
0: over the course of about 48 hours. They created this incredible document that required them not only to compose it themselves with the information that I'm aware of, but they were also in direct communication with New Orleans in their convention center that they were using at that time. Some of the other components that were very interesting as well was They needed assistance in terms of generating volunteers. So who's going to staff this hospital? You can have all these patients, but who are the nurses and the medical staff that are going to be able to run it? So we had students that got engaged at the local hospital level in terms of this amazing amount of people that had medical backgrounds, both past and present, that wanted to get me on the list. I want to be a resource for your ACS. So we had students working on that. Other factors, there was a need for public relations. There had been kind of some possibly communication gap with the setting up of a separate facility in Monterey at the fairgrounds, and they wanted to make sure that there was a really good understanding of the community as to what are we building, when are we building it, and why are we building it.
1: Simultaneously, the ACS plans continued to come together. Professor Jorgensen drew on his military training and his time with Doctors Without Borders. While putting together the site's blueprints, he consulted with some of his prior colleagues.
0: I reached out to my former bosses from Doctors Borders who were overseas at the time. I said, we're going to design this like a cholera camp. We're going to keep it simple, just the way it works overseas. And they sent me all the layouts and how we had done it before abroad. So you basically, we would run this the way we would do cholera and Ebola campaign. And so that was something that I kind of reached back into my own personal tool set that would hope it be beneficial for maintaining a safe ACS environment.
1: They got through all the steps. But just before the ACS was called into action, the county hit the pause button. The curve had been bent, case numbers were steady, and the ACS wasn't needed.
0: The hospital was designed. We had the beds. We have this running supply list. We have. We now know exactly what's going to be needed in terms of the amount of beds, etc. We had everything ready to go. But before we before we pull that final trigger, they put us into a holding pattern. You know, in in all honesty, it's you know, it can be frustrating because y- you want to see your development come to the final fruition in that helping people. But then you also have to step back and say, well, if it's not needed yet, that means more people are alive. And so it's this very interesting, I don't know if dichotomy is the right word, but you, you have to take, you know, it's not needed and that's a good thing.
1: We've seen it during hurricanes, fires, and now pandemics. Colleges and universities stepping up to lead through a crisis. Higher ed leaders asking, what's the silver lining? How can we change and innovate in the community that we serve? Because that's what it's all about. When students are put first, they rise to the challenge and become leaders, deepening the relationship between communities and institutions. Dr. Lauren Blanchard, who we heard from earlier, perfectly encapsulates this notion that even unprecedented times can be turned into a teachable moment.
4: There's so much beauty in the California State University, and uh, it, it, it's in certainly in the relationships that are formed. And and that these are really authentic relationships that we see formed between faculty and students, between staff and students, between administrators and faculty, in in that spirit of authentic relationships that I know very convincingly that while we've got this pandemic and while we've got other sets of crises, be, be it the wildfires, and be it health crises, right? That I know that because of the power of who we are and because of the care that we have for one another, that we're gonna overcome this. And I just can't wait to see the day, five years from now or less, who the CSU will be at that juncture. We're not gonna be who we are today. I'm convinced we're gonna be strikingly better.
3: Higher Ed Rewired is produced by the California State University Office of the Chancellor as part of the CSU's Graduation Initiative 2025. This podcast is made possible in part by the support of the College Futures Foundation. More graduates for a thriving California. Learn more at collegefutures.org. To hear more stories like this, listen at higheredrewired.com or subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts.